So uh, for the rest of us, we're going to be looking this morning at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. That text is uh, uh, in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. So if you've been coming here, you know that we're doing a project, many projects this year in light of our 25th anniversary. But one of the ones we're doing is we made the decision beginning in Advent to follow the Revised Common Lectionary. And that provides us with a track to run on this year, but it also gives us these, these texts that we read, right? So you may have been looking at the, the scripture readings that we've done thus far in uh, the worship service today and think, you know, how do these things connect? You know, what, what is, uh, what is the, the logic here, right? So we begin the call to worship with forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, see I'm doing a new thing. And then the Old Testament reading where God declares to the people of Israel that the reproach of Egypt, the reproach of slavery, the reproach of really 40 years of disobedience in the wilderness has been removed, right, as they prepare to go into the, into the promised land. Uh, and then today, the sermon text, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 5 through uh, uh, 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, will remind us that the very familiar passage, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, right? That God is doing something new and that he is changing uh, his people, right? So uh, that's, a, that's a pretty important, uh, in fact, a very important thing for us to, uh, to think about today. And before I read the text, I mean, I just I want you to ponder with me this morning the, the question of, you know, can you change? So um, in light of that, let me read to you 2 Corinthians 5, <coughs> verses 16 through 21. The text is in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. This is the word of God. And we, sh- you know what? I'm going to pray. Yeah, bring it, Jaybird. Yeah, I'm going to pray. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, we come to you today uh, as folks who... Uh, well, we're tempted and distracted and um, kind of cold sometimes and judging and uh, all of that. And uh, you see all that. You know all of that about us. And yet here you are welcoming us into your presence and urging us to look to you. Uh, what love is that? And so I pray that love would captivate us this morning, uh, that it would change us, that it would reorient us. As we see the profound thing that you've done in the great exchange from Jesus to us and from us to Jesus, uh, that it would reorient us this morning. Lord, we need that. We can't do it on our own. In fact, we can't do it at all. And so we need you. Uh, Come do your work in us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So um, one of the things that has occurred to me is, you know, it's still three weeks until Easter. Seems like it's a long time. I think Easter this year might be the latest in the year that it could possibly be. I think I think that's right, based on the lunar calendar. And that and that what Easter is based on the lunar calendar. So um, it's going to run really late this year. And one of the things that makes that hard is, you know, we are in this year because we're doing the lectionary. We're in the season of Lent, and that is a uh, where we are urging folks to look at their sin and to repent and to ask God to do things in them. And that's a really terrible and hard thing to do for people in America in 2019 because I can't do that for very long. I need to be distracted. You need to make me happy. And if I have to look at my sin and then keep confessing my sin and have to keep looking to Jesus, that doesn't make me happy. So so what we're going to do today is we're going to change the sermon topic to what would Jesus say to the winner of the NCAA tournament? But see, that won't work because that's only one. So what we're actually going to do is we're going to say, what would Jesus say to all the losers in the NCAA tournament? Because there's way more losers than there are winners. Well, one winner. But that won't work because you reject, I reject associating with losers. But really what we should do is what would Jesus say to all those teams that didn't get an invitation? (laughs) I identify with those guys. So dumb, right? Okay, that's your distraction uh, uh, for this morning. You know, whatever little joy you get, and, you know, praise God for temporary joy, right? The temporary joys of a good meal, the temporary joys of a good laugh, the temporary joys of a good basketball team or football team or lacrosse team. You know, we should praise God for those things. We should enjoy them but we should also know their temporary joys. And so one of the reasons why Lent is so important, I came across this quote this week from a pastor in Northern Virginia that I follow. He says, I look forward to walking with you on the road of sorrows, the second half of Lent, as we approach the one enduring joy. Jesus and his resurrection. Don't get confused this morning that uh, God is good and he gives us these small tastes of joy, but don't become confused. There's only one eternal joy and it is big and it is strong and it is powerful and in the end, uh, it will make all these other joys seem invisible, right? So that's the the joy that we have as we walk as we walk through the season, right? Now, one of the things that we have to come to grips with, you know, in our lives today is, you know, is does does real joy come to us in this life? In other words, can can real joy come to me when we look at the question, uh, can I change? Now, here's one of the things that I, I want I want to, you to hear me say this morning is. Is, is, is very true. You know, human beings are remarkable to me in their ability to change. You know, sometimes we get very cynical and we think it's impossible for people to change. I don't know. Years ago, when our kids were little, uh, we, would, uh, we would give them uh, uh, an hour a week of TV to watch. And we used to watch this really stupid TV show called The Biggest Loser. 
You remember that show? Really dumb. These enormous people would do all this stuff, and over the course of a season, it was remarkable how much they changed. You know, that, that, you know, that it was, now, you know, come to find out there are all kinds of shenanigans and stuff going on in the background of that. But the fact of the matter is, I'm amazed at the amount of willpower and the amount of grit. Uh, people make remarkable changes in their lives all the time. Really remarkable, really profound, really noticeable things that you can see and tell about people. You know, wow, that, that's, that's a big change. But I'm here to tell you, and the Apostle Paul is here to tell you today, that you can change these things about your behavior all you want. And you know what? We all need changes in our behavior, no doubt about that. But I want you to understand something, that what Paul is saying to us today is that there's something more important than a change in your behavior, and that's something that you cannot change. No matter how hard you try, No matter how much you give to it, you cannot change your status before God. Only God can change that. So you can change all the behavior you want. You can become better looking, more fit, uh, more disciplined, uh, and all of us should do that. But the fact of the matter is, you can be disciplined and be outside of Christ, and it does not do you any good in the end. So what must happen to us, what must change about us is not simply our behavior, but what must happen first and foremost about us is that God must do this work of coming and changing uh, changing our status, changing where we fit. He must move us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He must take a valley of dead bones and make them live again. And those bones... And those in the kingdom of darkness have no power, no ability, no willpower even to make that change. He must do it. And that is the whole point of our being united to him. Because in our union with him, that is where we experience this change of status. Because that change of status, who I am and where I stand before God, must change first. And praise God, in the, in the gospel we read of this great exchange here in this text today and we can be assured because joy comes not from the answer that I can change, but praise God, I can be changed. Jesus has done everything to change my status, to do something for me I could never, ever do for myself. Next slide. So we, I want us to take, we could spend weeks on this passage. Uh, it, it, this paragraph is probably not my favorite paragraph in the Bible, but it might be my favorite paragraph that the Apostle Paul ever wrote. So we're just going to take a few lines out of this text today uh, and examine those. So uh, the first one is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, one of the things uh, that... Uh, that you have to see about this is, is that, that anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And that anyone means anyone. That anyone means self-righteous, pompous, religious people like us, moral failures, drunks, drug addicts, and prostitutes like us, 
can be changed, can be made new. So I want you to think this morning of that person which is most despicable to you, to, to those things that are most onerous to you, the things that bug you the most. Those people can be changed, can be made into a new creation by the goodness and the grace of God. And so there is no one, when Paul says we are ambassadors and God is making us his appeal through us, there is no one who cannot be changed, have their status changed, have their life changed, have their eternity changed by the work of Jesus Christ. You know, in the, in the literary, in the liturgy, uh, uh, from the revised common liturgy, the, a New Testament reading that goes along with this is the parable of the prodigal son. And it's important for us to see that because, as I've said before, the, the prodigal sons, the two prodigal sons, the self-righteous jerk and the uh, one who wallows with the pigs, those two boys represent a spectrum of, of human behavior and human lifestyle, right? And Jesus is saying, listen, the self-righteous among us, uh, the, the morally degraded among us, every one of us can be a new creation by virtue of the work of Christ. No one, and remember Jesus tells that parable to the self-righteous people who are upset because he's hanging out with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. No one can be viewed outside of the possibility that God could make even that a new creation. Right? So, now we have to ask the question, so if that's true, if that's true of anyone, then what is new, right? What does it mean that God makes us a new creation? Uh, and and the, what Paul makes clear in this is, is not that suddenly we take a bath now or suddenly we dress better or suddenly we, we present ourselves better, but the new thing that is true of us today is that now I am the righteousness of God. I was sin. But because that's been rolled over onto Jesus, I am now the recipient of his righteousness and I am the righteousness of God. That has changed about me. That has changed about you today. If you are in Christ today and you're hungover, if you're in Christ today and you feel guilty because of what you've done this week or last night or this morning, if you're in Christ You have, you are the righteousness of God. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that, isn't that, that is, that is such a profound thing for us. And that is the conundrum that we face with this, right? And that's what it means when we are called the righteousness of God. A status has changed. Jesus has done something by taking our sin and giving us his righteousness All of that happens in a way alien and outside of us. But without that, no behavioral change is possible or even worth it. What the Bible says about the end is that God is Alpha and Omega. So God is the one who began everything and God is the one who will finish everything. He will consummate it. The Lord Jesus will return in heavenly glory. He'll gather his saints to him and raise them from the dead and raising them from the dead. He'll bring about a whole renovation of the cosmos. All that curse will be removed. No more crying, no more pain. I went, I went to Howard's uh, memorial service yesterday. He, he wrote this a uh, few weeks before he died. 
All that curse will be removed. No more crying, no more pain. The first things have passed away. It reads in Revelation 21, the first things have passed away. The Lord will bring to final fulfillment everything that he's now begun in Jesus Christ. And here's the kicker for us this morning. In Christ, we're already alive from the dead. In Christ, we're already justified. We're already the righteousness of God. In Christ, the power of sin has been broken. That status change of us, whether you feel it or whether it it, it, it gets into your kind of, uh, um, you know, whether you, you have some sort of emotional experience with that uh, is, is really, it would be great to have an emotional experience about this every single day. But the fact of the matter is this status has happened. It has changed. And as we come to grips with that, that is what feeds and fuels all the other work of God in our lives. And that is a great place for us to, to rest and to see this mysterious thing that, that, that as far as my status is concerned, I am alive. I was dead. I was sin and now I am righteousness already. That's the work that Christ uh, has done to change my status. Next slide. So what, what, is this, what does this really mean? It means to be completely taken over. To become the righteousness of God is a transformation only God could do. This is not a process that God begins in us and then steps aside to observe how we respond. This change in status is what leads to change in life. You know, to follow up on the basketball um, analogy, since that's what you're thinking about. So, you know, it's like Jesus comes to us and he makes us this team. And then, you know, he gets us all set up and he dies on the cross and he rises again and he gives us his spirit. And then he gets off the bench instead of being in there with us and for us and by us. And he goes over here and he sits in the uh, the booth with a microphone with uh, guys like Charles Barkley and these other idiots that are on TV. And he sits there and he says, no defense. Move your feet. Terrible shot. What's wrong with you? Do better. Right? Frankly, you know, if that is our view, you know, what a, what a terrible, what a terrible way to, to, to think about that, right? The, the fact is, this is not a process that God begins and then he says, there, you're on your own. He is intimately engaged and involved in this work in and through and for us all the time. It never changes. And so this change in status, this great thing that we could never do for ourselves that Jesus has done to us is what leads us to change in life. And all this is from God. Now, isn't it interesting that he doesn't say here that all this is from uh, the Father or all this is from Jesus or all this is from the Holy Spirit? When he says all this is from God, what he wants us to see is, is that the whole Trinity, the whole person, all of the, all of God is engaged and involved in this change of making dead people alive. In this process of making people who are living and enjoyed living in darkness now living in light, right? And so he is totally engaged and uh, involved with this to make and to recreate and to renovate everything uh, in uh, this universe, right? Starting with us, 
but everything else that is in this fallen world uh, as well. So this is the, the great magnum opus, the great work that God is doing in and through his, his, well, this is his purpose. He made the world and now he's remaking the world. And we will see that come to full fruition when, when Jesus returns. Next slide. So what does it mean then in this text that Jesus became sin? Well, you know, one of the things, because that's such a hard thing for us to understand, isn't it? Now, some commentators would say that what, what Paul is getting at here is that Jesus became a sin offering, which is pretty good. You know, that gets us, that gets us close to the truth. But I think more than that, what we see here is, is that, that, that Jesus becomes sin. He becomes identified just as he, we are in him. Uh, and he is in us, the same thing must happen for him to remove sin from us, right? We see that the great exchange made by Christ on the cross as our substitute was a descent into perdition for him, a deliverance from condemnation for us. We see this in his cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus apparently felt the full force of utter separation from the Father That is what he underwent in order to remake our human nature, not to improve it, not to accept it, not even to perfect it, but to recreate it completely, which, you know, for many of us is kind of a bummer because what we would like for the gospel to do is to improve your human nature and accept my human nature and then perfect me, right? But what God is doing is he's re- recreating it something, re- recreating us into something completely new and different. Now, here's the problem when we read this text about God doing this to make something new is because the way we tend to think about it is things are new once and then they're old, right? Um, we have a uh, slightly more than three-week-old grandson. He was new. He's not new anymore. <laughs> you know? And I'm kind of glad for that because when he was new, you know, he just looked kind of shriveled up and angry all the time, uh, which, you know, I could tell he was my grandson. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, but now... He's not new anymore. He's, you know, he's got fat on his cheeks and on his legs and, you know, he, uh, yeah. The way we tend to think about new is that something's new and then over time it gets old. But the work that Christ has done changes that. When he says you're a new creation, that means you're always new. You never wear out. You never get old. If God's mercies are new every morning, then the work of the gospel in eternity, never wears out, never gets old. We are constantly being renewed, being renewed, being renovated, being changed, right? And so there's never a place uh, in our lives where when this, this work, this change of status, this, this great privilege that God has done for us, that when Jesus died on the cross, taking our sin and giving us his righteousness, that, that change changes everything about us And that newness that you experience there is not just the newness of the new convert, but is a newness, a new status, a new person, a new creation 
from here, tomorrow, into eternity. That's our hope. Because what God makes new never gets old. Never gets old. Never gets old. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, let's confess our sins together by using... Uh, this prayer of confession uh, that's printed uh, in the bulletin. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Hear these words of encouragement. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. So during Lent, we've been singing uh, this great uh, little hymn after the prayer of confession, Lord have mercy. If you've been here every week, it might bug you that the last note is dissonant 
sounds like it's those two notes are not supposed to go there together. And so the first week you probably came and you thought, oh, the pianist made a mistake. Uh, and then you're like, they keep making that same mistake every week, right? What's wrong with those guys? Well, there's a point to that, okay? Uh, and the point, that last note actually is a reflection musically of what I've preached to you this morning. That the Lord has mercy on us, not because we deserve mercy, but because he does. And his mercy is so powerful and so new, it takes what is dead and makes it alive. And yet we still live among the dying. That's dissonant, right? That's two things uh, that, that don't kind of fit together. Well, brothers and sisters, you are about to participate in one of the most dissonant acts in, the, in, in human uh, behavior. You and I are about to take steps to come forward and take the body of Christ and take the bloody of, blood of Christ into ourselves, and by doing so, sinners like us, failures like us, broken people like us, not the winners, but losers like us, sinners like us, identify ourselves with Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has identified himself with us. Jack Miller, one of my mentors, used to say that, quoting Martin Luther, that, you know, the Christian faith, that the gospel was centered in personal pronouns, you know, I, you, me, he, right? And, and that's, that's good. I think he's right about that. But, you know, it occurs to me today that the prepositions are pretty important. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, for us, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, this is for us. This work that Jesus Christ has done is to, has taken us and made us, people like us, the righteousness of God. Listen, if you've examined yourself this morning, you, the point of that examination isn't to look at yourself and say, yeah, I'm good. Or, yeah, I did that, but, uh, you know, they made me do it, or I've got an excuse, or, you know, whatever. No. The change in status that has occurred to us is that we come forward and we say, we have been identified with Christ. We are being changed by Christ. He is at work in us. We were dead. Now we're alive. We were sin. Now we are the righteousness of God. And we do that even as we confess things that we've done this week, things that we've said, things that we've thought that we know were sin. And yet, by the grace of God, he calls us to himself and raises us this morning. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you have no other hope of newness, of renewal, of change in your life, except that Jesus must change you, you've professed that to a body of believers somewhere, Jesus Christ owns you today. 
He says you're his. He invites you to come forward. You see, this, this supper is a kiss of love to those prodigals and self-righteous Pharisees who know that real change and real life must come from him. As uh, the elders and deacons come down front uh, this morning to assist you, let me re- to assist me. Let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, uh, the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread is bread that is gluten free.